Are you accepting it? No, of course no. not. Rubbish. The government is not accepting it. Welcome to Two Grumpy Hacks, the podcast. I'm Malcolm Farr, and of course, we're with Dennis Atkins. And this is the year of the fire hose of falsehood. Okay, this is episode 27 for this year. Um, may I say to you, Dennis, um, um, a happy dose of hope day to you. Um, uh, a 500 dose. Uh, Pfizer swap with uh, with Singapore. Dennis, can you guess who the first Australian was that the Prime Minister congratulated on this deal? The first, the first Australian he credited with getting this deal together. Can you guess who it was? Himself. That's exactly right. <laughs> it was Scott Morrison uh, who said uh, he thanked Prime Minister Lee of Singapore. And he added, whom I directly discussed and pursued this matter with. Wow, as if it was some sort of a activity beyond his uh, job description uh, to do. Uh, oh, but but, but, but he, he, did, he did go on to congratulate um, Greg Hunt, uh, the Liberal Health Minister, and uh, Maurice Payne, the Liberal uh, Foreign Minister, and Will Hodgman, the former Liberal Premier, who's now the High Commissioner in Singapore. So, you know, he wasn't the only Liberal he congratulated. Eventually, he congratulated them. But look, uh, I, I'm not sure that he would be congratulating a lot of Premiers, because the notion of his national plan to freedom, or whatever he wants to call it, um, is, is, is looking a bit rocky, because there are various interpretations, something that the Prime Minister touched on at his press conference, various interpretations as to how this plan would operate. It's been shaped for uh, local conditions, uh, and it might not be the plan that uh, Scott Morrison thinks it is. Uh, wouldn't that be right? Absolutely. It was interesting uh, that Scott Morrison talked about everybody starting from a different position and uh, going on a different pathway, but uh, wanting to end up at the same destination, um, which which is sort of a, a bit of a, a sort of roundabout way of saying, look, I don't know where everybody is and how they're going to get there, but this is where I want them to be. <laughs> you know, so, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think he hopes that that's where everyone will, will, will end up. He, he doesn't quite say when that might happen. Um, he is actually putting a bit more conditionality or nuance, if you like, uh, into how he talks about this national plan. Before it was just a sort of, you know, we're going to get to 70%, we're going to get to 80%, and when we get to 80%, Life is going to be back to normal. Everybody's going to be free. Um, which well, was rubbish. Which was always rubbish. And uh, I think that uh, you know, he, he might have, perhaps with the aid of this week's news poll, which um, indicated that the Australian public weren't buying his rubbish, uh, he might have realised that people uh, wanted uh, you know, a slightly more... Um, well, not, not, not so much complex as, as you know, a, a slightly more detailed explanation for what's going on and, and, and where the country might be headed. 
Uh, and so he's decided, oh, well, I better fill in some of the blanks that I've, uh, you know, deliberately left so that uh, I can get my simple uh, slogan over. That's right. And there's been some interesting comments from state and territory leaders. I think it was Monday that Dan Andrews uh, <laughs> rather severely said, uh, um, this, this is not a national plan for picnics, just quietly, which was a bit of a jab at... Uh, at uh, Premier Berejiklian of of New South Wales, who seems to think that uh, uh, the locals will be jubilant that towards the end of the month they might be able to go on a picnic. And Andrew Barr uh, mentioned that you know, when you hit 70%, it's not all over Red Rover. As he said, um, there would be, quote, very gentle steps at 70%. That's Andrew Barr, the um, uh, ACT Chief Minister. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the, the Prime Minister has been saying very broad uh, things such as um, live with the virus, not fear it. I have no idea what that means. Uh, and uh, he's starting, as you say, to ha- add some detail. He, he, was, he was all over radios uh, around the country uh, this morning. So I think you're dead right that he's picked, uh, picked that uh, he's got to do a bit of work Remembering, of course, that there's as much politics as uh, as, as virus fighting uh, in his comments, and he's hoping to build up the momentum towards an election. Now, there's one issue. Mm. That, there's one issue that um, uh, has been noted by one of our email questioners. Remember, you, you can you can send us a question should you wish at two grumpy hacks. Uh, that's numeral two. Grumpy Hacks, one word, at gmail.com. And this is from Chris on the Gold Coast uh, and, and in what he calls the free state of Queensland. Um, he goes to uh, the 70% and 80% um, vaccination targets. Uh, and, and he asks, well, he points out that in the United Kingdom, which has 78% of people double-dosed, and 88% single-dosed, but they're still experiencing 239,500 new cases last week and 785 deaths. And he asks, given the UK has 2.5 times our population, might Australia expect 95,000 new cases and 300 deaths a week after opening up? Would Australians accept this? I think that's a pretty good question, don't you? It is a good question. And and uh, the people at uh, Essential Research um, uh, have uh, quite handily come up with an answer for us or with some guidance in a poll they've released today uh, where they have actually asked uh, uh, the, the group they've surveyed how many COVID-19 deaths would be acceptable to live with. Um, and... They say that if it was less than 100, there's 61% of the respondents said that would be okay. Between 100 and 1,000, 25%. Between 1,000 and 3,000, 10%. And between 3,000 and 5,000, 2%. And over more than 5,000 deaths a year, uh, a very cruel 3%. Um, I'm not sure who they are, but they can't be very nice people. Um, But... (laughs) um, uh, but I, I think, you know, that, you know, given that you know, in an average year, you get about 250 
No, in a, no, sorry, in a bad year, you get about 250 people who die from influenza in Australia. Now, you put that as a sort of baseline figure and you look at uh, this saying that um, 61%, say, 100%, 100 deaths or fewer a year, uh, about 60%, so about three in five people would accept that. That that would seem to indicate that, you know, that, that that's got a ring of truth about it. Um, mm. But, you know, you've still got to get the Australian public from where they are now, which is dealing with a virus where there, where there are thousands of cases a day, when, when you put in New South Wales, thousands of new cases a day showing up. Many, many people in intensive care and new deaths every day. You've still got to get people from there to just saying this is an endemic disease where there are an acceptable number of deaths. I think we're a fair way from that. And we've also got to remember that Britain went through a, a, a horrific uh, first and second wave of, of, um, of the virus before they got to where they are now, um, you know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, what what they're experiencing now is pretty horrendous, uh, but it is much better than what they were going through throughout 2020 and and uh, through the winter of 2020, 2021. Yeah, and just to add, pile on the uh, statistics. Apparently, the United States now has more than 100,000. COVID patients uh, in hospital, uh, it, it, um, I think that's, is that every week? Uh, every seven days or whatever the difference is. Um, that, that's an enormous um, burden on the US and an expensive one too. I mean, these people be paying through the gullet for their treatment. Uh, in the US health system is uh, is after the, the dollar very quickly. Um but it also raises the question about in Australia, is our health system up for a similar sort of proportional burden? Uh, lots of doctors think it isn't. Uh, and uh, uh, Greg Hunt and, and Scott Morrison have, have uh, simply tried to fob this off by saying, oh, we've given lots of money to hospitals, lots of money, and uh, they'll be right. Well, I, I'm not sure they're convinced, and I'm not sure a lot of people in the health system are convinced either. No, and in in particular, um, you know, so some of the big tertiary hospitals in the capital cities are coping reasonably well, although they are under enormous pressure. And if you, you talk to anyone in Sydney, that is particularly the case. Uh, but you go out into regional Australia uh, and hospitals, you know, in places like Dubbo, Orange, uh, where the virus is now really out and about in the community, uh, those hospitals are under enormous strain and, and uh, doctors uh, and, and medical professionals who work out there are terrified uh, that, that if um, things get worse than they are, then they will be overwhelmed. So, you know, um, it's all very well to say, oh, yes, we can cope. Um, you know, but coping is a, is a, uh, you know, a relative thing and, um, you know, Dubbo relative to uh, Brisbane is 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 a, a a very big difference. Yeah, can we go to uh, well? 
I was going to say, can we go to uh, Afghanistan? No, thank you. I'd rather stay here. <laughs> um, but the issue of Afghanistan, and today um, US forces uh, officially pulled out, an extraordinary day in the history, not just of that country, but um, uh, in the United States as well, and in, uh, in world uh, dynamics, uh, global dynamics. It's extraordinary after 20 years that there is nobody from any Western nation can say, yep, we did a terrific job, now it's time to rest on our laurels. There are no laurels there to rest on. Uh, and it's interesting in the United States to see the vehemence of the attacks on President Joe Biden, not just from Republicans who uh, who will take any opportunity to um, give him a battering, but also from others in the community who are condemning him for, they believe, uh, being too rash in the withdrawal and not planning it properly. Most certainly, it has been a, a schmozzle, a, a deadly schmozzle, uh, and Australia has done pretty well in, in pulling people out. Uh, but again, we're left with the question, was it all worth it? What do you think? Well, no, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, I think the, uh, the biggest mistake with Afghanistan was uh, with staying there too long. We, we went in in uh, 2001 uh, with a uh, very direct mission, which was to try and um, get uh, Osama bin Laden and, and al-Qaeda uh, and also to uh, prevent the Taliban from harbouring uh, terrorist groups. Now, in, in very quick time, um, uh, the Taliban were driven out of power. We didn't, uh, the, the Allied forces didn't get Osama bin Laden and they didn't uh, you know, crush uh, al-Qaeda. Um, they missed out on that. But then they stayed on for way too long. Then they got diverted by Iraq uh, and it was all downhill from there. And we've been there for 20 years since um, with, with who knows what the mission was. Was it, was it regime change? Well, it, it appeared to be. But did we really know what that meant? No, we didn't. Uh, so we lost this war very soon after we went in. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been an inglorious exit ever since. And when we finally did decide to get the last uh, fighters out, uh, it was always going to be messy and uh, some people were going to be left behind. And sadly, that's what's happened. It was, uh, in, in I guess, almost essentially uh, John Howard's bid to remain uh, within the American orbit as a pal of Washington uh, uh, because uh, Australia was seen to think that we needed the United States in these parts for our own protection. I wonder if that commitment has faded with uh, the, the Afghan debacle um, and whether it would be possible ever again for Australia to say, no, we better jump into this uh, puddle because uh, the United States wants us to. Well, I, well, we we'll, we'll, we'll really only know that if, if, if it happens again. And, and um, unfortunately, the way the, the world is sort of swirling around and uh, the way that, uh, you know, the superpowers are starting to sort of bump, uh, bump heads, um, you know, who knows, who knows what might happen. You know, the, uh, 
how will Russia and China react to the way that America has um, cut and run from uh, Afghanistan? Um, I think that this has all left the world a, a much more uncertain place. Uh, we are, and well, we, we remain a, uh, a staunch ally of the United States, uh, whether we stick with the United States if they get themselves involved in another adventure uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. I hope that we wouldn't. Um, I hope we'd uh, you know, be a bit more independent, but um, history says otherwise. Yeah. Look, just finally, before we hand over and put this podcast in the astonishingly skilled hands of our technical producer, uh, Natasha McFarlane, can I just go back a bit to during the global financial crisis and the Kevin Rudd government when uh, something like $14 billion was spent on new primary school buildings, halls, libraries, uh, the works. And this program was criticised relentlessly by Tony Abbott and uh, a whole stack of, uh, uh, of Liberals as a waste of money, even though they always turned up whenever the school hall was to be opened, uh, a waste of money. And how dare Australia do that? Now, can we flick forward to JobKeeper and what uh, Joe Aston in the Financial Review has called um, an orgy of looting? All these companies uh, and uh, the Parliamentary Budget Office in July has said that almost $13 billion of JobKeeper went to companies that didn't satisfy the, the criteria uh, of the first three months of operation. You know, they, they made money when they said, oh, they're, they're big trouble. I, I cannot understand how the government can simply dismiss this as, as Labor campaigning. It is another indication that uh, over the past three or four years, the handling of taxpayers' money has been a disgrace. And, and you know, things like the $1.8 billion in compensation for the robo-debt uh, debacle. Uh, uh, do you think that they're going to get away with this JobKeeper um, uh, schmozzle? Well, they've got away with it so far. far. Uh, I mean, they, you know, I was astounded uh, that uh, um, you know, the Treasurer was asked, um, uh, well, look, you prosecute people who, who, uh, um, uh, who offend against their Centrelink entitlements, uh, requirements, uh, but you won't prosecute these people. And he says, oh, well, you know, um, if you break the rules with Centrelink, you're breaking the law, whereas if you, uh, you know, fiddle a few billion dollars from JobKeeper, you're not breaking the law. So, therefore, you know, when you're entitled to keep the money. So, uh, <laughs> if, if that's the way they run things, then people will get away with it. Uh, absolutely. It's almost an invitation, isn't it, to, to go, go the fiddle? Mm. Uh, look, I, I'm sure we're going to hear more about this. It's, it's just... It's just darn annoying you've got a, uh, to have a government that's short of a quit at the moment because it's had to spend to cover the COVID recessions, um, pretending that it's a, uh, a, an, an impeccable manager of taxpayer money. But that will come up again sometime later, and we shall cover it. And, uh, Dennis, in the meantime, it's goodbye from you. And it's goodbye from me. Farewell. <laughs>